This is one of the most controversial cases to come before the International Court of Justice. South Africa accusing Israel of committing genocide in Gaza. Hello, this is the Religion and Ethics Report. Andrew West with you on RN and ABC Listen. Now, Israel has strongly rejected the claim of genocide. It calls it a blood libel. In its argument, South Africa is pointing to a rather violent story in the Bible where God commands the Israelites to wipe out the people of Amalek. Now, this is a story that Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was told since the Hamas attack that killed 1,200 Israelis. So why is this ancient story so powerful in modern Israel, and why is it a key part of a court case? Professor Atalia Omer specialises in Jewish and Israeli history and politics at Notre Dame University in the US. The pivot of the story is really happening in uh, the book of Samuel, Samuel 1, chapter 15, where King Saul is instructed by God to completely annihilate all of the Amalekites, including children, babies, animals, men, women, everyone. And this is in revenge for an earlier story that happens immediately after the escape from Egypt, after the crossing of the Red Sea, where the Amalek, the people of Amalek, attacks, basically ambush the Israelites and attacks the most vulnerable people of the Israelites. There are all kind of twists and turns, including Moses instructing Joshua to fight Amalek as a result of this attack. And right before the Israelites, 40 years later, are supposed to cross into the promised land, they are reminded by God to remember the Amalek and what the Amalek had done to them. So going back to King Saul and the instruction that he got, he implemented it almost completely However, he spared some of the best animals and also Agag, the king of the Amalekites. Now, this story, Atalia, it's told every year before the holiday of Purim, isn't it? So it's very well known in Israel. So when Benjamin Netanyahu speaks of this story, what's he saying to the people of Israel? Let's go to first to why the Amalekite story is told right before Purim is because five centuries after King Saul's attack and destruction of the Amalek, with the exception of the king, we have the character of Haman, who who operated during the um, kingdom of Persia, and we have the exiled Jews in that kingdom, and Haman is plotting to destroy the Jewish people. And then, of course, we have Queen Esther and her uncle were subverting this plan, And we know that Haman is a descendant of Amalek, uh, according to the story told in the book of Esther. So kind of a literal reading of the story of Amalek that happens in the the week prior to the marking of the holiday of Purim, which uh, commemorates the story of Esther, is that because King Saul failed to completely destroy Amalek, Then we have the story of the almost destruction of the Jewish people Mm. during the time of Haman. So it's kind of like that's the lesson that you really need to be on the lookout. And it really is integrated into Netanyahu's rhetoric about life by the sword and so forth. 
In what context has Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu been telling this story? The deployment of Amalek to refer to Palestinians is not something that Netanyahu is the first of uh, practicing in the context of Israel. We have a long history of uh, leaders, including rabbinic leaders within the religious Zionist settler movements. It used to be a more the extremist fringe, but over the years, and we can talk about it later, perhaps it moves more to the mainstream. So you have rabbis already in the 80s deploying the concept of Amalek, this archetype, biblical archetype of evil and the enemy of Israel, the enemy of the Jews to describe Palestinians. And there is the very, very concrete and horrific story of the American-born medical doctor Baruch Goldstein, who on the holiday of Purim got up in the city of Hebron in the West Bank and went to the cave of the patriarchs, or what the Muslim Palestinians called the Ibrahimi Mosque, and massacred 29 worshippers. And it's very likely, since Baruch Goldstein was a very religious Jew, that the week prior he heard the story of Amalek in synagogue and studied it. And then the way it was studied until that you need to get up and destroy Amalek, which Baruch Goldstein interpreted to mean Palestinians. So why has the South African government, in its case before this international court, referred to the story of Amalek as part of its case against Israel? The key point is really that it is a part of the case to establish what is usually the hardest part in proving genocide is to establish intent. We have those declarations and references to Amalek that Netanyahu is making, but it's also very ubiquitous within kind of the broader Israeli discourse. And then the South African case involved also evidence from soldiers on the ground in Gaza. You hear them use this concept of Amalek and we are going to destroy and annihilate Amalek in very, very, very strong words. You have other politicians talk about precision is not the point. Destruction is the point. There are no innocent people in Gaza. This reference to Amalek is just one reference within a whole spectrum. Is it possible, though, Atalia, that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has been using the story of Amalek specific to Hamas and not to the Palestinians of Gaza? I mean, is it, is it possible that it's a very focused historical reference? He has a long kind of history of deploying the concept, for instance, this archetype of Amalek to talk about Iran, for instance. So it's not the first time that he is deploying the concept. He deploys the concept of clash of civilizations and the 9-11 type of discourse. Mm. Is there an irony here, though, in that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is using this biblical story But he is not at all religious, is he? Outside of a few very limited uh, occasions, you never see him, for example, uh, wearing a yarmulke. He's not a religious politician, though, is he? No, and this is actually where it's very important to first understand how a literal reading of the story of Amalek is, in fact, very much in departure from the traditional rabbinic mode of interpreting those very hard 
versus to grapple with over the centuries. Is it more a case that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, like, by the way, uh, certain politicians in the United States who are not religious at all, but they give their nationalist policies a religious tinge to maybe give them greater currency with a particular audience? The policies themselves aren't at their core religious. They just have a religious patina to them. This is a really important point. So there are two issues here. One issue is that Netanyahu is very weak right now. His coalition prior to October 7th depends on this messianic settler bloc and also kind of a neo-fascist contingent. This is represented by Itamar Ben-Gvir. As we, we mentioned earlier, the settler movements deployed the concept of Amalek for a long time. So there is one way of understanding Netanyahu using Amalek as kind of a dog whistle to this constituency. But even deeper than that, secular Zionism emerged as a European movement that had to rely on kind of a biblical claims to the land. Even within the secular discourse of early Zionists, every time they purchased the land, that's before 1948, every time they purchased the land, they referred to this land as redeemed or Judaized. And the Bible, especially the book of Joshua, and not the oral tradition, not the layers and layers of interpretations, because they were deemed diasporic, have been central to the consolidation of the Israeli ethos and Israeli identity. Amalek used to be such a fringe discourse. Uh, How much is Israeli politics generally leaning into religion today? Over the years, there have been shifts to the right and a more kind of pronounced exclusionary religious discourse. Uh, It partly can be explained as a result of the fundamental moment of the quote-unquote disengagement from Gaza that in the context of the settler movement is remembered as a very um, traumatic event. And as a result of that, this unilateral disengagement from the settlements in Gaza, you see a consolidation of power within the settler movements and you see all kind of convergences of different currents. So we have on the one hand, we have the settler movements that has centered kind of a land theology and prioritized settlement of the land above all things and tolerated kind of the secularity of the state and the public discourse and the public sphere. And on the other hand, you have another current that is important from the United States by way of Rabbi Mayor Kahana and is manifesting today in um, Itamar Ben-Gvir and kind of neo-Kahanism that is just very exclusionary and really centers a language of revenge and power and domination. Israel specialist Atalia Omer of Notre Dame University. And this is the Religion and Ethics Report. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.